everybody. Welcome to episode 236 of Milwaukee's Tailgate Brewers podcast. Uh, I am James, joined just this week by Ryan. Uh, Paul's out traveling this weekend, so it's just the two of us here. But uh, plenty of good things, I guess, to talk about in the last week for the Brewers. If we want to just, you know, kind of neatly ignore the last couple of days in Atlanta. But, you know, hey, still a pretty successful week overall. Yeah, and the bath I took on the Kentucky Derby. Oh yeah, we were we were talking about that before we started. Do you want do you want to fill everybody in on your almost fortune? Yeah, I mean we were doing really well going into that race. Had had a pretty successful day. Otherwise, I actually I put a bet down, and it was just like a two dollar exacta box bet, and then didn't pay any attention to it. And I've got grilling and whatever. We were having a party in my backyard, and all of a sudden I go check my account, and there's an extra one hundred and fifty dollars on there, and I'm going oh. So apparently that thing came in and it was a $150 win. So I was way up before the Derby. So I decided to just like push all the winnings to the middle of the table and, and take a shot. And when an 80 well. to one horse comes in, yeah, that was not, that was not my lucky day. You, so, did, you did not bet on the 80 to one horse. I did not so. take the 80 to one horse. No. no so I don't even no. know what the name of the 80 to one horse was. Everybody in the place was like, wait, what happened? I think between the people at the party, we've had just about everything covered except yeah. that I, nobody walked away with anything off of that so it's pretty yeah, wild no it, it ended up being a wild race i know nothing about any racing let alone horse racing so i, I don't know how to watch it so i was like a little you know behind on, on why everybody was hooting and hollering at the place i was while we were watching it and it wasn't <laughs> until the replay that i saw that this horse kind of like made it through you know that that last turn and had an incredible run there so definitely exciting even though i didn't quite know what i was watching but hey. yeah it it's kind of awful when you have the second and third horse in like a 20 horse race and you're like it was so close <laughs> so so close and granted they were largely the favorites but this was not a race in the past few years here there's generally been a horse that was if not even money like two to one maybe and the the favorites in this race were like four or five to one so they it was you you could cash money on them and uh it, then it worked out that uh you, you ended up with an extreme long shot hitting so <laughs> whatever it is it is because what it is course. but uh the party was good we we got to see a lot of people that some people we hadn't seen in years that was kind of cool so we're, cool. we're kind of turning the kentucky derby thing into an annual tradition here at our place nice. so it's nice. it works out weather wise you know it's kind of just the beginning of spring and it was right. a little cool yesterday, but it wasn't terrible. So, yeah, it's a good time. Sure, sure. Learn how to make a mint julep and, and enjoy those, or is that not your jam? Yeah, no, Amy <laughs> found a good mint julep recipe and made some mint there julep punch. I think true mint julep, but we did have real mint, so that was kind of cool. In there muddling right. in the real mint, so. Yeah. There we go. Close enough. I'll take it. I'm not a huge mint julep guy myself, so, yeah, that sounds good. All right, uh, plenty to talk about for the Brewers this week. Lots of good questions and maybe an offensive surge here, although maybe it comes with an asterisk. We'll get to that. But a reminder, you can become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate. That'll get you question priority here on this podcast. Make sure that your question gets answered. Uh, that works as well for the Packers reporting as eligible podcast. I know Paul and the gang on, on that side did their draft review in the last week. So check that out if you haven't already. Definitely a uh, good listen to to see, you know, reactions, immediate reactions on who the dra uh, Packers drafted and, and the gang's thoughts on that as well. 
Five bucks a month at Patreon gets you some extra content. You get the minor league extra with Ryan and James Anderson from RotoWire. Plenty of Brewers prospects stuff to talk about lately. And we will hopefully have an episode coming this week. I'm still working on getting a time nailed down with James. We might have to push it back, but hopefully we'll have one this week. And there is all kinds of stuff to talk about on that front. So uh, really an interesting year. I think it's shaping up early to be the second straight year of um, really good production from the top guys in the system. Not that everybody did really well, but... It's sort of been a second straight year of uh, positive momentum in the Brewers farm system. So I'd like to see that. It's definitely good to see um, me being somebody who maybe doesn't follow the minors as closely as I used to just basically limits myself to the, you know, Brewers minor league development Twitter account for the video clips and the and the team accounts. I, I noticed Nashville's off to a hot start. I know Ethan Small's pitching great. Uh, they have they have a new prospect at AAA. His name is Keston Hira or something like uh-huh. that. So, uh, yeah, there, there's that as well. Uh, so. Uh, yeah, definitely check that out. Good listen to get caught up on all things minor league as well. All right. Well, in the majors, the last uh, week or so for the Brewers got off to a really good start. You know, after that off day on Monday, they beat the crap out of the Reds like everybody else has uh, sent the Reds to a 3-22 and start, which is just kind of unbelievable if you think about it. I know everybody's probably seen the stats by now and all, all the talk about it. I know Effectively Wild spent a good amount on just mm-hmm. how historically bad the Reds are. Uh, right up there with the 2003 Tigers and the 88 Orioles in just about every inept category you could think of. Uh, Brewers added on to that <laughs> with... Plenty of runs and home runs hit uh, during that series. Um, So Thursday's game capped off a run there of 10 games that saw the team score 72 runs overall. So that'll do a lot to fix your offensive numbers early in a baseball season. Uh, Coming into play on Sunday, the Brewers actually moved up to second place in the majors with 4.86 runs a game, which is really hard to believe Ryan considering how long we've been talking about the offensive struggles really for the first month uh so I guess uh what the hell happened uh is the first question here on this rundown and and I think we can probably just say the Cincinnati Reds happened but is there something else here that's been going on lately well to be fair that 10 game run also included uh two double digit games against the Cubs and a double digit game against the Pirates so they were beating the hell out of bad teams and specifically bad pitchers quite a bit. I think Kyle Hendricks at this point, he was one of the guys they beat up on and you wouldn't necessarily think of him as being bad, but he seems like maybe he's washed or he needs to come up with a new way to be successful going forward because he hasn't been very good for quite a while now. So yes, they have really pummeled bad pitching. Specifically, they've been hitting for power and it's really been a few guys that have hit for power more than anything. There's you know, other guys have contributed. There've been little, little pieces here and there, but the guys who've driven this are Rowdy Telez, uh, Hunter Renfro and Willie Adamas. And yep. they've been doing it with the home run ball. You know, all those guys now between them, um, Rowdy's up to seven home runs. Willie's at eight hunters at six. When this all started, I think they were maybe at two or three, around there somewhere yeah. Willie's had yeah, in this like, run Willie's had two multi-home run games yep 
reigning NL player of the week. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah, before this little run started, Rowdy, I think, was even the only Brewer with multiple home runs, right, for a while uh, mm -hmm. <laughs> to start the season. Yeah, it was a really long time where you're sitting at the park there and they put up that uh, the Powerball home run leaders. And it's like, ooh, <laughs> you're grabbing the, right. the neck of the shirt going, oh, this doesn't look so great. Right, yeah, but yet definitely home runs having an impact and really helping them break through, which I think maybe kind of confirms some of the things that we've been talking about over the last few weeks on them relying maybe on the home run to kind of really put up those big numbers. I mean, obviously it was still a really successful April in terms of wins and losses. The Brewers managed to you know, find ways to scrape together enough runs to, to put together one of the best Aprils in team history, but I think it all kind of, Made us a little bit nervous, you know, a repeat of last year. How often can you win a three to one game? You know, so it is nice to see, even just from an entertainment standpoint, uh, home runs. I like home runs. I like it when Rowdy hits home runs because he's a big fun guy to watch. And uh, now he's the franchise's single game leader in RBI, which is, you know, arbitrary sat, but still fun to see somebody drive in that many. And and Willie Adamas also almost broke that record in this little run here too. Mm -hmm. He had a seven RBI game recently. So um I guess, yeah, how much of this though, Ryan, is actually the, you know, talent level and how much of it is kind of that weak schedule? Because we knew the Brewers had like a really weak division that they were gonna play with. I think that's why we all were pretty confident in their ability to maybe run away with this division and and they've certainly gotten off to a good start. So it, is this actually real? Is the offense actually good now? Or do you know, did this weekend at Atlanta kind of dull those expectations a little bit? Yeah, if you look at the weekend in Atlanta, they score 10 runs in three games. That's definitely not on the pace they were at before, but that's also not terrible. It, you know, it's hardly getting shut down at that point. Yes, six of those runs came in the first game and then, it was relatively quiet nights on, on Saturday, and then Sunday they just got pummeled, and it was a, a classic Craig Council punt game pretty early in that yep. in that one. You just kind of yep. knew that they weren't really going anywhere. You it, you sort of had a deflating moment when I think they were down 4 nothing, and they got a couple runners on and couldn't do anything with it, and then you just sort of went, eh, okay, that it seems like we're probably not going to be winning this game. And they at that point extended their lead and it was just sort of done. Getting back to the overall question, I mean, they're not this good. No team is as good as they are at their best or as bad as they are at their worst. That's a, like a, a long time honored tradition in baseball. You can't judge a team by what they look like at their best or their worst because at teams don't play that way for the entire season. That's just you know what they look like when they're they're really going either really well or really badly. So I think that yes, the the home run binge is interesting. First off, it does make me feel better that they have it in them. They're capable of doing this and that we're seeing right. it. And that right. there's sort of a proof of concept here that like even with this dead and ball situation that they're facing they can still hit some home runs and win some games doing that offensively. And you can see that working out for them. So from that perspective, it's good. And I, I think that you definitely like to see it from guys that you're counting on, like Rowdy and Renfro that maybe you had a little question about. And we'll get into Yelich later because Yelich is a whole other matter. <laughs> yeah, it is. But 
I, I pointed out this week on Twitter that if you look at sort of what their offense has been, you remember going into the season, we spent a lot of time talking here about the fact that this offense had like 12 guys who were Pakota projected to be between a 90 OPS plus and a 115 OPS plus. And for those that don't know, that basically just OPS plus takes and adjusts your OPS to park average or to, to league average, sorry, adjusting by park. And what that does is basically says, okay, 100 is league average. And so we were sort of expecting this to be a team that was sort of a no holes offense. And that is not how this has played out at all in the (laughs) early going here. It's kind of the antithesis of that, actually. Starry and scrubby, right? Yeah, Yeah, it's very stars and scrubs, though. Actually, over the weekend, that even regressed a little bit back toward the mean, which is what we were saying it was going to do. But Rowdy's up at a 162 OPS plus, so... 62% 62% better than the park-adjusted league average. Willie's at 145. Uh, Yelich is at 127. And Hunter Renfro's at 109. On the flip side, you have Lorenzo Cain in his 32. You have Jace Peterson in his 64. And yes, Urias has looked good in his first games back. We weren't sure how long it was going to take for him to sort of fit back in. And that's been really nice to see that he hit the ground running. And he already has a home run, so that's excellent. Um But we obviously, very small sample on that. We still need to see him uh, play. Mike Brousseau, who we said last week, don't, you know, hold your breath because he's probably going to be back fairly soon. And he's already back, back in the majors already as of today. And uh, yeah, but you just kind of look at the rest of the lineup and the only guys who are sort of Colton Wong has been on a binge lately. He, he started the season really poorly and he's been hitting yep. so well now that he's back up to an 89 Omar Narvaez is a 96. I guess they're kind of in that range now that you would expect maybe a, a touch low for what you were hoping from them, but pretty reasonable. Like if they ended up at those numbers for the season, you wouldn't think it was insane. Um, But honestly, like this offense is just, it is going to be one that relies on the home run ball because the batting averages are low. They're not they're not a team built around, you know, slapping the ball around the yard and advancing runners that way. They have some speed. They've they've done some things on the base paths, but it's you know, they're not an overly fast team either. So this is really kind of built around they they to get on base, they tend to take walks. They're they're a good walking team and they hit for power. So this is sort of a the old Earl Weaver, a couple walks in the three run homer formula. And that does tend to go through ups and downs, though. I think that really we sort of overrate how many ups and downs that is compared to, say, an offense that's built around. I don't know what the Royals did in, say, 2015, because most offenses just aren't built that way anymore. The in the current modern game you're not going to string together a bunch of hits unless you have a bunch of really, really good hitters who are really adept at spraying the ball around that those guys just are not very common these days. It's the pitchers are too good for it. And so they, they really limit teams ability to, to even have guys like that. So right. Ultimately what you're looking at is a team that is going to be somewhat boom and bust, depending on whether the ball is flying out of the yard or not. And that is always going to concern people like that is always going to be a concern to people. But I don't know that there's a lot you can do about it. And I don't know that it's something that's unusual in the modern game. 
Yeah, and we've definitely seen both ends of that spectrum early on this year, right? Like we're a little bit more than a month or so into the actual season calendar-wise, and and we've seen the Brewers start as a bottom 10 offense, and now they're actually a top 10 offense based on uh, WRC+. They're ranking 10th right now, according to Fangraphs. They're also right around there, 10th or 11th in offensive war as well. So, uh, you know, again, er this early in the year, those rankings can shift rather dramatically, rather quickly, as we've seen mm -hmm. in the last 10 or 14 days or so. Uh, so, you know, there, there's going to be movement around there, but I think we've seen enough to really kind of uh, maybe just really hammer home that point that this is probably a league average offense overall, but, you know, when they're on a hot streak, they can be really, really good. Um, even against some superior or in inferior competition, I should say. Well, they might be a little bit better than that. Looking at just sort of the numbers in general, their OPS is seventh in baseball. And yep. so they're in that top quarter. They're just sort of barely in that top quarter, but they're in that top quarter of, of offenses right now. And yes, I think that the, the two runs or being second in runs per game, that is unsustainable. That is actually being yep. propped up by some crazy. They have, People probably don't realize this unless they've been really paying attention to the uh, the broadcast because they've mentioned it a few times. But the Brewers are hitting like crazy with runners in scoring position. The last I saw, they were at something like 340, 350, which is so high above their batting average. That one is not sustainable. And yeah. that is going to regress, and you're going to see some fall off from that. But overall, the offense being seventh in OPS tells you that there's still some pretty good hitters here and they're, they're producing. They're just a little bit over their heads in terms of how many runs are coming from that production, if that makes sense. Um, yep. And then you also look at like the, the OPS plus. So the park adjusted um, OPS plus numbers, they are at 107. So 7% better than the league average, which is one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. They're 10th. That yep. to me feels like it's pretty, that that feels to me like it's pretty in line with what they really are offensively. That that park adjusted OPS plus, they're not they're in the top half, but they're probably closer to the halfway. They're closer to the the midpoint than they are to the top. In, in reality, uh, they're they're a little bit above average, but not drastically so. And I think over the course of the season, that probably I would expect them to end up sort of in that general area. Uh, uh, Park adjusted OPS plus of 105 ish would be, you know, pretty reasonable, I think, for the squad. For sure. And I think this is a team, too, where you kind of look ahead to the warmer months and you're like, OK, uh, well, once the ball starts carrying even just a little bit more, uh, <laughs> you know, those those home runs will probably come a little bit more frequently as well. Um, although that doesn't really help you in October when it's cold outside. But hey, in April, they proved they can win in cold weather games too. So I, I guess that makes me feel a little bit better. Well, and you don't necessarily have to play in cold weather in October. They play in a That's dome, true. so they have yep. that going for them. So they're not going to be playing in cold weather at home. And on the road, you know, you, if you're playing some of the teams from the West. They'll be in LA. West, they're fine. Yeah. yeah like if you're playing the teams <laughs> from the West, like that's not cold there yes you could end up with i guess one of the teams from the east but then if it's atlanta yeah. atlanta's not going to be particularly cold so yeah. it isn't necessarily you know, like you have to deal with a ton of cold weather in november just be or in october just because it's october sure
All right. Well, one of the guys sort of driving this resurgence uh, with the log ball as well. Uh, you kind of mentioned him as one of the guys earlier, uh, Christian Yelich. So obviously we, we've got our, our weekly launch angle check here. <laughs> I've got his baseball savant page pulled up because Paul's not here. We're at 9% for the launch angle. So uh, good on you, Christian. Still trying to, to put the ball in the air at least a little bit more than his career average. Uh, and, and much better than the 2.8% it was last year. So uh, up to 9% on a launch angle, as we kind of talked about, you know, 9, 10, 11% is, is probably where he's going to start being really effective. And, and we're kind of seeing that he's got four home runs now this year. So uh, this leads us to our first Patreon question comes from Mark Podscarby asking, is Yelich back? Uh, so, you know, I like to joke on Twitter, he's back all the gifts and everything like that. But Ryan, are you growing more optimistic by the week that maybe uh, Christian Yelich is back in some form? Yeah. Ever since Steve came on here a few weeks back and said he was like washed or I don't even remember exactly how he said it, but it was very dismissive. And like basically Yelich is, you know, that, that guy that was the, the really great player is gone and he's not coming back. And since basically the moment those words came out of Steve's <laughs> mouth, Yelich has been proving him wrong. And uh, it's the tailgate reverse jinx. Thanks, Steve, for, yes. for fixing Christian Yelich. Yep. Yeah. Thank you, Steve, for that. <laughs> so we do have plenty of numbers to support the, the idea here. He's basically top 10 percent in baseball in uh, things like exit velocity. He's 91 yep. percentile max exit velocity, 95th percentile hard hit percent, 98th percentile expected weighted on base percentage, 92nd. And so you're looking at like his his expected weighted on base percentage is 409, and you can kind of uh, I've I've always found weighted on base percentage to be weird because they've they try to tie it to like what on base percentage would be good. So obviously like a 409 on base percentage is really 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 good, but they also are using it to incorporate like power in there as well. So it's a weird stat. I've always had issues with it that way. I like WRC a lot better. Um, mm-hmm. Just as a, a general stat, but anyway, uh, yeah, his numbers and the expected numbers there are all really good. His expected slugging percentage right now is 607. Like, yeah, they're Not expecting bad. him to be a true middle of the order power hitter. And yes, we've seen four home runs from him. And yes, if you look at especially on his, this chart, you could see he's had a bunch of balls that haven't gone out that have been yeah. really close to going out and could have gone out. Um, yep. so you have to take some of those things into consideration and, and understand that. And he's had some really long flyouts to the track where they don't even show up on here and you're like, Oh, in another park that would have been out. But in this case, it just, you know, ended up in somebody's glove. So I, I do think we're looking at Christian Yelich being largely back. I think that you probably want to set those expectations short of 2018, 2019, just because that was such a, an outlier and a weird thing that he got to that. Those heights was sort of surprising in and of itself. And I certainly wouldn't expect necessarily to see him hit 40 home runs again like that. Yeah. That guy probably it would. And, and this is pending weirdness with the ball. They're like they could baseball could decide to change the ball back. <laughs> right. And who knows like what is coming that way. But the true MVP level Yelich probably still isn't coming back just because that's unlikely in general for any player. 
but I do think that we're definitely going to see a very good version of Yelich for the rest of this year. I think that the underlying numbers here are just, they're too good to ignore. And frankly, we should have been on this earlier. There was some skepticism because of you know, the number of ground balls and the fact right. that, that that launch angle, the degree number on it was so low for so long, and now it's up to nine degrees, and that's great for him and well within like yeah. where we he... should say for him. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, if you look at other players like Willie Adamas is in the mid teens and that's more of what you expect for a player who's, you know, a really good hitter who has a good all around offensive game, you know, mixing in power and, you know, just contact general contact ability in general. But I think that we can, we can say that Christian Yelich is pretty good again. And I, don't think we need to go further than that, but I, I would say he is pretty good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just kind of going through more stuff on his baseball savant page. I actually have a section expected home runs by Park. So uh, if you scroll through that, it'll tell you how many home runs uh, you could expect him to see hit in in all these parks. And yeah, he has four real home runs this year, right? But you scroll through that list, and there are quite a few parks where. Uh, if he played more games there, he'd, he'd have six, including like Dodger Stadium, which you don't think of as a home run hitters park. So that I think kind of just shows, too. Uh, he, he had a couple that he, he, he was robbed on or just kind of died at the track at the wrong park. Right. And well, and those two in Baltimore really loom yeah, large because those were home runs in like, I think, 29 out of 30 parks. The only place they aren't getting out of is Baltimore in this yeah. current environment or it, very, very high percentage of parks they were getting out of. And so right. if you add those to the total and now it's it's six instead of four, I think you're you're looking much more in line with what the true talent has been and exactly. the way it's truly played. Yeah, for sure. Um and, and something we saw in the last week too, he actually hit a home run off a fastball. So I think we were waiting for that. Mm -hmm. Uh that was also one of the caveats on his uh early season uh I guess you could call it a turnaround at this point. Uh just that he was seemingly doing most of his damage on on breaking pitches or changeups and hadn't been catching up to the fastball, but he he fixed that pretty quickly too in this last week or so. Uh, so I think that's also an encouraging sign. Uh, teams are also shifting him a little bit less, which I think is advantageous. Uh, you know, I just you know looking up every once in a while at his at bats, you, you see him poke it through the shift a little bit or, or just to the left of the shift a little bit. So I think that. Uh, that all helps, right? So even just in terms of getting confidence back, you know, we talk about that with Keston Hira and stuff too. Uh, even Christian Yelich, you know, after the last couple of years he's had, if he's got stuff that's falling in now or beating the shift, I think that uh, is all good and, and kind of goes towards, you know, more confidence and, and the ability to kind of let it rip a little bit more too. So definitely good to see and hopefully it keeps up over the next uh coming weeks so uh i guess in terms of guys who are not going well uh we talked about this you mentioned it at the top of the show also last week but uh man lorenzo kane oh, still looking rough had another rough week despite the the mm -hmm. offensive outburst he is the one of the few exceptions in the brewers lineup still that hasn't been able to turn it around our next patreon question comes from jay google who's asking at what point do they have to address center field? Because <laughs> Kane has not been good, he says. Taylor's been okay, but do they try and make a trade for a center fielder? 
maybe someone who is a left-handed hitter to help versus right-handed pitching. Uh, is this looking like an area where the Brewers might have to try to address with a trade or something? Uh, you know, David Stearns likes those May trades. Uh, so is this an area where we look to, Ryan? I think that would be early for a major change like this. That's going to be a tricky situation to navigate. And this is where you're really glad you have Craig Council here to go through something like this because it's going to be difficult. And I think Kane kind of knows he was already sort of hinting around at the fact that this is quite possibly it for him. I think he knows he's towards the end of his his leash as a big league player. I'd mm-hmm. be shocked if he was back at next year at this point. Uh, and I don't mean to the Brewers. I mean to baseball in general. I think <laughs> right. that he's just about ready to hang it up. Uh, you could sort of see it in the old man walk and just... <laughs> He, he has mentioned, too, that like he seems to kind of understand his role is changing or at least talking about how often Taylor starts in center field now. You know, he understands that Taylor needs to get consistent at bat. So I think he may see the writing on the wall a little bit that uh, if we get to the second half of this season and he's more the 26th man cheerleader, that could probably be a thing, right? Yeah, and I mean, to be fair, Tyron Taylor is hardly lighting the world on fire And he has racked up a pretty decent number of plate appearances. I mean, he's at 56 plate appearances coming into Sunday and was hitting 208, 250, 396. It's not great. You know, he Mm -hmm. did five doubles is good. Obviously, the triple home run like he's he's slugging some. So that has been good. He when he does make contact with the ball uh, and get a hit, it has tended to be for extra bases. So, like, you do like to see that. Seven of the uh, 11 hits have been for extra bases. But I just don't think that overall, like, you know, 14 strikeouts and 56 plate appearances for somebody of his profile, that's rough. And defensively, he's just he's not a great center fielder. He's playable out there. He's adequate. But I think that they would uh, they would like to do better out there. So actually, this week I did look this up and I brought up a guy only to have it thrown back in my face that he actually signed an extension this spring. Uh, did you see that? I brought up Manny Margot from the the Rays. Oh, uh, yeah, he did. And he signed an yeah. extension this spring, so he is not a free agent after this year. So going back to Cots uh, baseball contracts, which has a wonderful you know <laughs> list of uh, guys who are pending free agents. Well, guys whose contracts run out this year and guys who have options they put a star next to their name ah, some, in, some interesting things here i mean i think charlie blackman is not a center fielder anymore jackie bradley jr nope. he's not coming back <laughs> you know lorenzo Cain's on this list uh you're, you're saying there's slim pickings here i mean there are some guys like i look at kike hernandez enrique hernandez for the uh for the red sox has played quite a bit sure. of center field and has that craig council sort of uh uh movability uh, but I don't know if he's a great center fielder, and he's also, I believe, a right-handed hitter, right? I'd have to, uh, to check that. Not I'd, sure. I, it seems in my mind that he's a right-handed hitter. So I don't know that he necessarily um, – and he's off to a terrible start, if I remember right. I should just look this up. Um, I mean, Boston's one, too. That's kind of off to a slow start. So maybe you watch them over the next month or two and see if they – possibly sell off those pieces mm-hmm. uh like him who are you know not in their long-term plans so that might make some sense he is a right-handed batter and that's probably not ideal for where their needs lie he's off to a, a 57 ops plus start uh <laughs> so not great well, it's better than lorenzo kane it is better uh <laughs> i don't know defensively in center field yeah. if he's exactly what you're looking for there but 
he is a guy that I don't think I mean, you'd fit right in on the Brewers. You'd love to have him on there because the man is like just a pure ball of energy and positivity. Yeah. And like that comes across in any broadcast of any game you're watching with him in it. Like he just stands out as, you know, that sort of a dude. And uh, I I think that that from that perspective, it'd be fine. It looks like Kevin Kiermeyer has an option for another year after this. And he is a, a tremendous defensive center fielder. But offensively, in year, recent yeah. years, he hasn't also been as good. Great. Yeah, <laughs> like that's Kevin Kiermeyer off to a 77 OPS plus start. Still doing you know, good work in center field, not getting on base a ton. But that could be a thing. The, the Rays did just clear out some space um, for... Oh, that young prospect that they had, but they had to send him down because he got off to a slow start. Was it Brandon Lowe? They have so many Lowe's and Lows and they're like all those guys. There's a low and a Lowe and a, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah exactly. Um, so yeah, I so, don't know. Like, I just don't see like a really obvious not answer an here. not inspiring list, Ryan. I, no. I, I'm thinking they may be SOL here. Which, well, yeah. If you're looking in this market, if you're, if you're sure. looking at guys who you're trying to pull from, uh, guys who are pending free agents, that seems like slim pickings, which actually could mean that it's more about trying to find somebody who's a little bit younger and maybe a, yeah. a little bit more controllable. And that uh, is something that they have done earlier on. They you know, did it with William Adams last year, though those were obviously special circumstances to clear way for literally the top prospect in baseball. But you never know what can kind of happen. I, I guarantee you they're on the lookout and they're they're monitoring the situation. And I don't think Kane is going to be a problem. Like, I don't see if he gets put to a role where he's basically minimized or even, you know, uh, let go. I, I don't think like, yeah. that part of it's going to be a problem, though. I People would hate to see Kane go. I think he is beloved and highly respected in that clubhouse. Yeah. But then again, I think that they have a lot of guys who are, you know, highly respected in that clubhouse and. I, I doubt that Kane would be uh, raised too much of a fuss about it. I think he'd kind of gracefully ride off into the sunset, but I've been wrong about these things before. <laughs> yeah, no, he definitely seems like one, at least judging from if you're reading between the lines on some of his comments so far this year, you know, even going back to him leaning towards seemingly thinking this is his last year. Um you know, I, I think he knows that it's it's getting harder for him to keep up. And the longer this this slump goes, I think it uh, everybody kind of comes to a point in their careers, right, where they just realize, OK, this has kind of passed me by. I'm I'm not able to compete at the level I want to compete at. So it's best to write off in the sunset. I think he may be sadly getting to that uh, portion of, of his timeline here. So I, I guess, you know, fingers crossed he can still contribute in some ways you know every once in a while he'll still really sting a ball but uh those are getting fewer and farther between and uh it, it it's kind of painful to watch some of these at bats now which is which is sad to say but mm-hmm. um yeah all right uh i guess on the pitching end uh you know we, we had a eventful weekend here where uh defense was not helpful to the pitchers and we have a question about that coming up later but also uh We've got uh, Ashby making another start on Sunday and really kind of getting hit around again. So it's sort of been an up and down really start for him. And I guess, you know, we we shouldn't panic too much because comparative 
to you know other pitchers in the league, he's still very good. Uh, it's just that compared to other Brewers pitchers, he, he seems to be one of the more frustrating ones so far this year. So we've got a couple Ashby questions here after he gave up uh, six runs on Sunday in a short start, really struggled with his command um, again. And, and you know, it, it's just kind of a continuation of uh, maybe starting to think, okay, is he ready or cut out for a starting role? So we've got a couple questions here. Uh, first one comes from Chris Richards asking, a friend made a Willie Peralta comp on Ashby as in good stuff, but not able to use it effectively. I think it's too early to go there with him. Am I missing something? I think Aaron's outing on Sunday is one of those developmental blips. Ryan, your thoughts on that. So this is one of the more divisive topics among prospecting people in the game today. And I listen to all kinds of podcasts and read all kinds of stuff. And whether or not people think Ashby can start is highly divisive. Uh, I know that people like Keith Law have said they just don't see it in terms of the delivery and the uh, like the delivery is going to make it hard for him to repeat his mechanics. And that's yeah. going to make it hard for him to be consistent with his command. And that the Brewers, and this is an opinion held by many, that the Brewers would be better off just sort of saying, okay, he's going to struggle with command some, but he's also going to be so good that you can run him through a lineup once in, say, the way that you did with Josh Hader a few years ago, and you could run him through the lineup once a couple times a week and get really, really effective uh, work from him because it's very hard for batters to square him up when one, they're not sure where the ball's going to begin with, so they're kind of uh, floored with that. And <laughs> when they haven't seen it already once, uh, it's just very ineffective. So I think that it's quite possible he ends up there. I don't think the Brewers are anywhere near ready to concede that yet, which, which I think is Chris's sure. point here is that, and they don't need to, frankly. They're, they're not at the point where they need to make this sort of a decision. They can start him in this sort of modified six-man rotation when they don't have an off day and when they need to to get a guy in there for that uh, for that start. And then they can use him out of the pen at other times. And the the thing here that they're trying to do with him is obviously get the, the command refined so that he can get through a lineup, you know, three times. That's the goal here with Ashby. And even if that doesn't end up becoming where he ends up, if he, if he never really figures that out, he could still be a very, very effective pitcher in a more limited role. So I think that the only thing really to do here is to be patient and to just accept, okay, the, the team is very good. They have great pitching sort of top to bottom. Even if a few guys are off to a slow start ERA wise, we get Woodruff and, and Peralta. The ERAs are unsightly, but their FIPS are very good, which suggests that, you know, as we sort of know and realize, they're good pitchers who've had, you know, had a bad run of, I didn't want to say luck. It's just sort of the, the dice rolls have come up poorly for them so far uh, in a lot of circumstances, but the underlying abilities are still quite clearly there. So nobody should be worrying about them. And given the overall situation, where the Brewers stand in the standings and where their, their pitching is generally, they can afford this luxury to just kind of keep trying with Ashby and keep letting him uh, have these chances to start intermittently with relief outings and just see if they can get him to improve that command. Because if they can, he probably can be like, if if the command does come around, he's a number two starter. 
and you don't want to just like concede that that's not going to happen and shunt him to the bullpen before you have to. Okay. Cause he has, you, you don't want to give up on that, that upside without needing to, and they frankly don't need to right now. So they can just kind of delay this decision a while. Sure. And like, they need to get this answer eventually. Right. So you may as well use this opportunity when you have, you know, this opportunity here, say before you maybe have to move on from Josh Hader and decide that you need another strong back end bullpen piece when that looks like that could at least be his, his not his floor, but like a, a realistic outcome, right? So you want to make sure you have the answer to the starter question before that happens. Well, and the other thing too here is this is why it's so great to have pitching depth. This is one of the wonderful knock-on effects because you know when you don't have pitching depth, you can sometimes get into a, a cycle where you're you're bringing up guys before they're ready. You're trying to get more out of a guy than they're really capable of giving. And as a result of that, you end up, damaging the guy's confidence you end up damaging his development and you hurt a guy from being all that he can be right let's say hunter green in cincinnati <laughs> i mean yeah but you look back at the brewers throughout yeah. history like you know like manny the manny para experience was definitely I was gonna a say, thing like manny para might be a better comp for me for ashby than um you know willie peralta just because manny had that stuff and it just never really worked out <laughs> Yeah, and well, I mean, we've already seen Aaron Ashby be better than well. Yeah. Manny Parra was really good that for a while there in two thousand and eight before it all kind of fell apart on him. But anyway, we're we're getting far afield from the actual subject here. The That's the funny. point is is that like you want to sort of give pitchers a, an easy uh, transition into the big leagues, and even going back to we've we've brought up Earl Weaver before, but this is how the Orioles used to do things back in the seventies. They would break guys in in the bullpen, and Keith Law has talked a lot about this that he loves the way the Brewers do things in terms of breaking guys in because they did this with everybody. They they're doing the mm -hmm. same thing they did with Ashby that they did with Burns that they did with Woodruff that they did with Peralta um, that they did with Lauer that they did with. Uh, with Hauser, like every one of these guys has done this gig at one point for the team where they're kind of bouncing between starting and relieving and they're tr they're trying to put them in a position to develop and to be have successes that can be built on and to refine whatever it is that needs to be refined about their game. And they're so good at this that you just sort of want to extend the benefit of the doubt to them that yeah, they they need to be given time to let Aaron Ashby become what he can become. And they, if any team knows how to do that, it's the Brewers. Sure. Well, given your answer on that question, I think I might know your answer for this next one coming from Ted Johnson. He's asking, at what point should we be thinking about bringing Ethan Small in to be our sixth starter? I believe in Ashby's stuff, but he seems to be better fit in the bullpen right now. Small isn't on the 40-man roster, so who would go if we do call him up? Um, obviously, we mentioned Small. Off to a great start, but you know, you just well, got through winning. <laughs> yeah, uh -oh. so he is, but huge caveat here because if you don't like the command issues that Aaron Ashby deals with sometimes, let me introduce you to Ethan Small because he has some <laughs> serious command issues of on his own here. Uh you you could look up for me here the the Aaron Ashby thing. So when he is uh um the the walks per nine, Ethan Smalls are he's at almost six walks per nine innings, 
And yes, he's balancing that out by striking out you know, over 12 per nine. He's fantastically missing bats. That is great. And also keeping guys off of making hard contact. He's long 4.3 hits per nine. So all of this is playing up to a 1.98 ERA, right? Yeah, not exactly the most efficient sub two ERA. <laughs> no, exactly. Not not exactly efficient, but you also then have to think, okay, but he's facing triple A hitters. Now when he starts facing big league hitters, uh, it's gonna be harder to miss those bats. So you would think that strikeout rate would probably come down some. And then you'd see the, the walk rate bounce up some as well. And guys would definitely do a better job. He wouldn't be allowing no 4.3 hits per nine. Like that yeah. number would be coming up. That number is coming up if he's in Nashville. Like that number is almost, I would bet huge amounts of money that that is artificially low, that that is going to regress upward just because very few people uh, manage to keep contact like that minimal of a level. So uh, Ethan Small is a very good prospect. I have him all over the place in Dynasty Leagues, and I absolutely love the the overall profile here. But the area where Ashby struggles, if anything, Ethan Small is worse. And that's why Ashby is in the majors now and Small's not, right? <laughs> it's like he's slightly better at those things. Yeah, and well, there's also the factor Ethan Small is actually older than Aaron Ashby. And so Ethan Small was a guy who had Tommy John surgery in college and was a relatively late arrival. And I think Aaron Ashby came out of JUCO. So he's, yeah, like you said, he's a little bit younger and did a really good job flying through the Brewers system. Ethan Small lost a year to obviously to the uh, to the pandemic as Ashby did, too. But he was a little bit further along when that happened. So Ethan Small is a good prospect. He is a very good prospect. He is extremely interesting. And I think that we will see him pitch in the big leagues this year for sure. And Craig council said as much this spring training, Yep. but to think that you could somehow be like, well, okay. So Ashby is really struggling with the command. So let's bring up Ethan small. Eh, That's, that's not really how any of this is going to work. Like that's, that's not (laughs) the specialty of, of Ethan small is not command. So we, we need to be patient on this one, too, and uh, we will see Ethan Small soon enough, but I don't think that you you move past Aaron Ashby to go with Ethan Small at this point, you, particularly if you're worried about bringing up somebody who shows better command. Yeah, and again, we're one calendar month into the season, right? So maybe it's a little soon to even be freaking out about uh, a prospect as volatile as he may be, you know, because mm-hmm. we've also seen very, very good Ashby uh, so far this year. And, um, you know, that potential is definitely there. And and who knows, maybe he turns it around and goes on a little run here. Uh, we, we've seen those midseason runs or turnarounds from Brewers pitchers before, too. So mm-hmm. that. I think that's not out of the realm of possibility, but yeah, definitely with you that maybe it's a little too soon, especially considering it's not like the brewers are in a bind uh, when it comes to team success. (laughs) Clearly they're off to the, one of the better starts in the national league. They've got a little bit of a buffer here. Like their playoff odds are pretty much locked in already just by virtue of the central division being what it is and, and their hot starts. So um, they, they do have some leeway here to kind of get those answers on Aaron Ashby. Yeah, I mean, to your point about that here, the Brewers, as of uh, the beginning of play on Sunday, Pakota had the Brewers as 98% to reach the playoffs. 
That would yep. be a 94.9% chance to win the division and 3.1% yep. chance at a wild card. So exactly. Dakota absolutely loves their chances and all the <laughs> all the systems do. Yeah, when you have a team that's good, was expected to be in the playoffs to start the season, and then they get off to the start the Brewers have, don't be surprised that this is what it's going to look like. Yeah, absolutely. So I I think the the Brewers have some time to shuffle things around and kind of, you know, maybe a buck style play for the playoffs kind of thing, right? And figure out what works in certain situations. <laughs> you have so, you have plenty of season to play around with these things without uh, worrying too much about it hurting your your playoff odds. So there, there's that as well. And that may be kind of what they're thinking here is yeah. figure out what this team needs to look like at the end of September prepare for that eventuality and uh you know i i think they have the the room and the wiggle room to to work with that right now and i think they can they can make that work yeah and i think you you kind of see it too you know well even outside of playoff scenarios being what they are you know craig council's always been really good at you know shuffling lineups and giving guys days off trying to make sure everybody's fresh for september as they can be so i i think you know, he, he's definitely a, a good hand to have when it comes to that, too. Uh, just making sure that everything is in line heading into the postseason. Um, it, it's still just weird to think <laughs> that we're talking about the Brewers being in that good of shape one month into the season. But again, things couldn't be going much better for the Brewers than they have been. So, um, all right. One last Patreon question here comes from Brew Crew Fan in California. He's asking, uh, with this new dead ball era, is there a chance to bring back some of the previous strategies that modern statistics have discredited? Stealing, bunts, sacrifices, etc. They all lower the overall expected runs. But is there any strategy that can increase the probability of scoring one run with all these close games? Uh, would even Earl Weaver, there's our third Earl Weaver reference this <laughs> week, Ryan, get tired of warning track shots? Um so, yeah, you know, we kind of touched on some of this with with the offense of talk um, at the top of the show here. But um, do you think there's a chance we see more running and, and bunting, uh, you know, outside of Christian Yelich bunting to beat shifts? No, I don't think that that's necessarily the way this is going to go, though. Craig Council did allude to this a little bit that uh, and this was before the offensive binge kind of put those words back into his mouth, I would imagine. Uh, but he was talking about, yeah, maybe needing to do some more things in terms of trying to create runs. And I, I, but there's some things that need to be pointed out here. First off, the Brewers are five and three in one run games. So winning yeah. close games is not a problem. Like this is Craig Council. I ran the numbers on this and I can't remember exactly what they were, but it was it was like since the start of the 2017 season when the Brewers really kind of began this current run like that was an embryonic form of what the Brewers were doing but it basically kind of says Josh Hader showed up with the team the Brewers record in one run games is like I think they were at like 95 some wins something something basically around 100 and under 60 losses in one run games absurd. yeah yeah I mean they're basically like a 100 win team in one run games under Craig Council and so at some point, you have to acknowledge, one, okay, yes, a big part of that is they've had very good relief pitching. And so he has had that benefit, specifically Josh Hader. But there have been a number of other guys who have come and gone who've been very good in this time. And that's because David Stearns prioritizes this. And 
because Craig Council is good at managing them and, and using them effectively, that has worked really well for them. But also, it's just like Craig Council's really good at this. And he is particularly good at making sure that they're punting on games that aren't like on Sunday that aren't going to be uh, uh, wins and making sure that yeah. he's saving his best relievers to use as often as possible in games that they can win. And that's really been a hallmark of what he does. And that's, I think, a big part of why they win so many one run games. So I don't think we have to worry about that necessarily. But that's on the pitching side. Going back to the hitting side, which was really the question here. Mm -hmm. There are some things you can do that do increase your your chances to win one run games. And in terms of being able to score one run when you want to, like if you're sacrificing to uh, put a runner on second with nobody out, if you're sacrifice bunting to move a runner from first to second, people are like, well, that's, you know, it's playing for one run and you're trying to get that one run and scrape that across. Yes, but it barely changes the odds of scoring that one run, like going from a runner on first with no outs to a runner on second with one out, it does slightly increase your odds of scoring that runner. Very slight. And this is just sort of a general truism of, of the game. And it all depends on run environment and all of that and team context specific. But in general, you can barely nudge that number up, but it comes at the expense of drastically reducing your chances of scoring multiple runs that inning. Like it really lowers the odds that that's going to happen. So there's a huge trade-off with that, and mm. I think that Council has generally been loath to do that. And we've talked on this podcast, I think we talked about it last week, that bunting for a hit is not the same as bunting to sacrifice. Those are two yeah. different things. Even if sometimes it's hard to distinguish, like there are times when it's really obvious that a guy is laying down a bunt because there's like two outs, and he lays down the bunt down the third base line with you know nobody over there, like the third baseman's not over there really. Okay, mm -hmm. obviously that dude's bunting for a hit, which is what we saw Christian Yelich do last week that brought up this conversation in the first place. Yep. Um, and then there's times where it's more ambiguous, like a guy will drag bunt along the first baseline when there is, say, a runner at first. And you're like, well, he's kind of sacrificing, but he's also giving himself a chance where if, if there's any sort of a misplay, if the guy's fast, if there's any sort of a misplay, uh, that guy's probably going to get on base. And then that's that kind of becomes like a wishy-washy sort of like that was kind of a, a sacrifice bunt, but also kind of not. What you don't see from the Brewers hardly ever is true sacrifice bunting. And that's because yeah. it really mathematically just generally doesn't make sense. Um, I think that if you add more players with speed, if you, if you truly bring in speedsters and burners uh, to the team, and they may be on the verge of doing that because they have some guys with some pretty good wheels in the minor league, uh, in minor leagues in both Sal Freilich and uh, um, uh, Garrett Mitchell are both like, if not 80 runners, they're, they've put 70 times on the board uh, in recent times. So like if they're putting 70 times up, then you're going, OK, these, these are legit, really fast players. So maybe in that case, you could see some more stealing down the road from them. But one thing we, we can note about stealing as a strategy, and you look at it every year, stolen bases have been going down, going down, going down across Major League Baseball. This is a longstanding trend. Fewer and fewer steals. 
But we've also seen along with that the success rate on this basis that are stolen keeps going up and up and up. The success rate keeps going up because that is what teams really value now is guys who can steal without getting thrown out, without sacrificing a bunch of of outs to get your extra base. So if you have guys that can do that, then there there is a value in doing that. There's also something to be said. the later a game goes and the closer it is, um, the marginal value of a stolen base goes up and it becomes less important that the guy uh, successfully complete it for it to make sense to try. Like kind of normally you want guys to be successful like between 75 and 80% of the time to, to have it make sense for him to try to steal a base. But late in a close game, say when you're trailing by a run in the eighth inning, that number drops more to like 50-50. Like if, if the guy's got a 50-50 shot, you're going to want to go for it because the potential of that uh, of that helping you win that game is so high. So I think that they're they're definitely cognizant of that, and I think they will take that into account. But I also think that this roster isn't tremendously well set up for <laughs> – for speed, yeah. there are there are guys that have speed. I, don't get me wrong here; there are guys no, that have yeah. speed. There's but, not a ton, but yeah, I mean, looking just sort of in general at the team right now, Andrew McCutcheon is uh, three for five on the bases. I mean, I can't believe you've got a a guy who's your basically everyday DH. Well, when he's not <laughs> on the COVID IL, it's tweeting from his hotel room in Atlanta. Which, yeah. by the way, did you enjoy that? That's hilarious. I did. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely enjoyed that. Um but yeah, I mean for the most part here, you're looking total at the team here, they are 16 out of 24. So they're stealing at basically a two-thirds rate, which is kind of the modern number. Like that's that sort of makes a lot of sense. And I don't think you'd want to push it too much beyond that, which suggests they're probably they're probably going for it with this current roster. They're probably trying to steal at about the right amount. You'd like it to be a little, you'd like it to be closer to 70 than 66%, but that's just a a, a slight uh, difference these days. A few successful attempts and you're right back over 70%. So, um, but yeah, it's, it is hard. I think that what, what people conceive of as, one run strategies that like make it more likely to score one run. The value that you add, and this is true in, in a lot of these ways, the value that you're adding through those strategies really doesn't, uh, it, it, it doesn't come out in the wash against what you're losing when they're not successful. And in, in terms of how much damage it does to your, ability to potentially score two or three runs and then to win a little more comfortably. So it's a tough trade-off to make. Maybe we'll see it some, and I think we'll see it from some teams, some rosters. We'll try it a little bit more. I know that historically, you think about the Brewers, they went out and got uh, Jonathan VR and had him attempt a whole bunch of stolen bases in 2016. And then they moved on from that really quickly, suggesting that, you know, (laughs) Maybe that was more of a, in their mind, he was a little too aggressive sometimes. And it was maybe more of a (laughs) sideshow than anything else. Like give the fans something to entertain them, something to pay attention to. But the reality was, you know, they wanted to get uh, guys who were better at getting on base and slugging because that's how you actually score runs and win games. Yeah. 
Uh, just pulling up the stat cast, uh, Brewers leaders in sprint speed. So just as kind of one of one of the metrics that you can use to maybe figure out how fast a guy is. So just as a baseline, the league average for sprint speed so far this year is 27 feet per second, uh, which is crazy fast for a human to run. Uh, but that, that's the major league average. And the Brewers have looks like six guys above that. Uh, Hunter Renfro is right at 27, uh, but the guys who I guess you could consider having above average speed on the Brewers, uh, Willie Adamas at 27.7 feet per second, uh, Jace Peterson at 27.8, Lorenzo Cain at 28, Christian Yelich 28.1, also Tyrone Taylor 28.1, and as you mentioned, uh, perhaps why Andrew McCutcheon is the best base dealer he's tops on the team at 28.2 but even that you know like they're not a crazy fast team at all mm-hmm. um so i think that kind of goes into why they don't steal as much uh colton wong actually below league average 25.7 uh feet per second um that's really then, surprising yeah he he's a player i guess you just like maybe stereotype second baseman as being you know speedy slap hitters and stuff and he's really not that fast of a guy um, you know, even considering his defensive ability, it's more like agility, right. Than actual speed. So, uh, yeah, he's not all that fast. And then, you know, not surprising bottom of the list is Omar Narvaez and Rowdy Tillets. Uh, so that's fun. Uh, but yeah, it, this roster is just not built to run too. So again, maybe if they do, uh, try to address some things, maybe it's, they, they get a burner for the bench or something like that, or I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, it's, this roster just isn't really built for that. They they do excellent in in one run games despite that. You know, last year they were what twenty one and fifteen in one run games, and then twenty nineteen was the crazy year where they were twenty seven and eighteen in one run games. That's a crazy amount of one run games to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so, like you said, the the Brewers have shown a knack for winning these games even without you know those small ball tactics necessarily. So. Uh, but yeah, if it's something that uh, happens to be needed later on, you know, you've seen Andrew McCutcheon come up with those those sack flies to go ahead or, you know, just finding a way to get those one or two runs across. I think they've shown a, an ability to do that, even though if it's not their strong suit. So. Well, and you don't want to say that, like, this is a good team situationally because, yes, they have very good uh, run, uh, batting average with runners in scoring position right now. Yeah. That is transient. That's going to go away. That is not something That's you can count down. on continuing. But sure. I think that there is a possibility that we can leave open. And not saying that it is true, but we can say that it is possible that this team has perhaps some good situational hitters. Guys who have a, a, a sense of what to do when they get into a situation where it's two outs and the pressure's on the pitcher a little bit to to get that last out. And they are going to be less uh, inclined to make mistakes in those situations, perhaps. Like, I, I would leave open the possibility that that is true, that they are going to be maybe potentially above average situationally. But for us to have any real sense of that, that of sure. that being true, we're going to need to see the full year. Like, we're going to really need to see that. So, and I'm sure there's people who are listening to this podcast right now screaming at their radio 
yelling at me like, no, they're shit situationally because, you know, they, they look, think of how many times they strike out like they the Brewers had uh, the bases loaded today with one out and didn't get a run out of it. No, that's that's horrible, terrible. Well, yeah, but that's also seven out of ten times you're going to fail at that, right? <laughs> so. Pitchers are really, really good. Like. Pitching is just really, really good, and we say that every week, and it bears repeating. It is really, really hard. That was actually Andrew Cutchin's response today from his hotel room was somebody's like, "Oh, shake my head that the the Brewers are uh, have the runners or the bases loaded with one out and didn't get a run." And Cutch, his response was literally, "Baseball's really hard." <laughs> and yes, Cutch, yeah. you are a hundred percent correct. Baseball's yeah. really, really hard, and I don't even play it, and I can see it. Yeah. It looks really hard. Just tweeting yeesh at some of Charlie Morton's stuff today too. That was yeah, that was something else. Too. Oh, it was it was really really good. Yeah, we need I, to put Cutch's Twitter stream up on on screen while he's out uh, <laughs> as like supplemental play by play. He'd be really great at that. All right, uh, we have a Twitter question to kind of wrap things up this week. Uh, speaking of the series in Atlanta, and we kind of mentioned this earlier as well. Uh, defense has been kind of an issue lately uh multiple yeah. errors in back-to-back games and we know errors are kind of fluky and it depends on uh how much the official scorer uh, hates you but i mean <laughs> it, it the defense didn't help things i guess in atlanta is the the best way to put this right so uh we've got a qu- question from mad max milwaukee asking how concerned should we be about the defensive play Fielding is starting to look like the weakness of this team as they have made life harder for every starting pitcher this weekend. Any solutions at this point, or is this something where we just sit back and hope it improves? Yeah, so I think we need to talk about just in general uh, what's going on with defense. So, yes, if you look at coming into today, so coming into Sunday, the Brewers were below the league average in terms of fielding percentage at uh, 0.984. And so they were among the teams in baseball with the most errors. It looks like they were uh, like ninth in in the total number of errors. They had 16 errors coming into Sunday. And so the, the fielding percentage is low. So, yes, that part of things you can say is not ideal or whatever. That's fine. But it is a small fraction of what actually is going on defensively because that tool is extremely dull. That is a very, uh, very unspecific sort of tool. It, it leaves out so much. It does not account for how much uh, range guys have, how many balls they're getting to. And uh, so it really doesn't account for that much at all, except that it does increase the denominator slightly. But that isn't a... that's not really all that useful looking at some more uh, in-depth metrics here. And I'm on baseball reference, just sort of searching this down. You have uh, just sort of the zone rating. So total fielding runs above average. Um, The brewers on that scale are above average. They have two runs above average. Um, the league leaders are the Dodgers at 16. Dodgers and Angels actually are both at 16. And then you know, the Brewers are just kind of slightly above average at two. Um, down to the bottom, like the Giants are at minus 26. Chicago White Sox minus 22. Um, these numbers are coming over from um, baseballprojection.com, um, but they're on baseball reference. Um, then you kind of look at like the 
The defensive run saved above average, and this is coming from Baseball Info Solutions. So looking at that, the Brewers are there are actually 11 runs saved uh, above average. So well into, well, they're at about the 10th spot in baseball on that nine. Looks like one, two, three, four, five, six. Oh, actually, uh, eighth. They're eighth in, in that thing. So I think that this team is getting to baseballs that some teams aren't, and that is going to ultimately uh, be to their benefit, even if it's not showing up in something like fielding percentage. So I think that defensively this team, because it was built around run prevention, this is part of what they were doing here was building around run prevention. And right. part of that was sacrificing some offense for defense in certain spots. And I think that what you see here is that that has been a little bit of a mixed bag in terms of the the errors, but in terms of what the the more advanced metrics that are taking more things into account and looking at things on a deeper level, they're considerably better by those measures. So I wouldn't say that the Brewers are a weak defensive squad at all. I think that that is probably a... Uh, I don't know, an artifact of recency more than anything that yet yeah, we're seeing them make some defensive mistakes that have stood out in doing so in some close games where it's mattered. Um, sure. And so that's creating this impression that maybe isn't uh, reliable for the the general um, overall picture of things at this point. What if they're just not being challenged and they're bored? Like Willie... <laughs> Willie Adamas said during this streak uh, in the last week where the Brewers had three straight 10 strikeout starters, right? He, he, they asked him what it was like playing defense behind him, and he, he just got a deadpan. It's boring. So I don't know. No, I'm kidding. But uh, yeah, it, it you know, it, it, maybe that's just it, they get so few chances. So now we remember the misplays, right? A little bit more as well. But Again, yeah, this is a full season thing. Uh, bad weekend, notwithstanding. Um, you know, they haven't been egregiously bad, as you said. So uh, it's something to maybe monitor, but it, I, I don't think I would hit the panic button quite on that yet. And, and the pitching has, frankly, been good enough to cover for it most of the time. Um, you know, obviously, it's frustrating when they extend innings with two outs and, and that kind of thing, and, and those guys end up coming around to score. But... Uh, I'm not terribly concerned at this point either about that. All right. That'll do it for questions this week. As we wrap up here, a reminder, you get question priority. Guarantee that your question gets asked and answered here on the program. If you become a patron at patreon.com slash MKE tailgate, just two bucks a month gets you that question priority, both here on this podcast and on the Packers reporting as eligible podcast. Even if you're not a patron, we'd appreciate your support in a different way. Just go uh, to Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us. Give us a five-star review. Hit subscribe. Tell your friends about us so we can help bring this podcast to more Brewers fans. And, and you can help support us and keep this thing going as well uh, with a couple of bucks bucks a month there um on the patreon side as well so a uh, reminder if you leave us a five-star review paul when he's here will read literally anything you write there as your little incentive to do that uh no new reviews this week and and no new patrons to shout out either uh but when you do it'll be shout out 
out here on the program. Shout it out. I don't know if that's even right, but it's been a long day. Uh, and we're going to wrap things up here. Uh, hopefully the Brewers keep things rolling in the next week here. Uh, we appreciate you all listening in, and we will be back here next week on Milwaukee's Tailgate. Fair